Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church dear. Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? It doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? You know what? That one works. Blake, uh, you want to talk about what happened last time we were in South Lake, Texas? You mean the time I was right about moving gear? Welcome to the Church Gear Podcast, where we pull the tech director out of the booth and onto the stage to share the most outlandish stories and hidden wisdom from the tech trenches. And now, here are your hosts. Blake Hodges, a man uh, who may have nearly crashed a cart full of gear, and I'm here with my boss, who would never drop a power amp on a Texas driveway, Toby Walters. Uh, You know, that's a great question, because I used to live in Texas, and I wonder if I did literally drop a power amp at one point. I'm sure I dropped something in my driveway. I lived there for six years and had gear coming in and out of my house all the time. I mean, I think you'd remember a power amp. These things are heavy. Uh, you're telling me. You could break someone's foot with a power amp. A hundred percent. Like not even meaning to. And I'm thinking back to a moment, uh, I think it was you and Riley were in Chicago at Harvest Bible and uh, our buddy Peter there that's on staff there was rolling a giant cart of gear. This is a double stack cart. Like there's there's stuff on the top and the bottom. And as, uh, I mean, you tell the story because I wasn't even there. Yeah, so we're rolling these, these carts of gear and Peter's like one of the nicest guys. Uh, Riley wasn't with me on that. This was you, me, Brian. I wasn't there. Oh, I was I was at another church. You and Brian were at Harvest Bible. Okay. Yeah. So Peter's like super nice guy. I'm getting to know him. Um, honestly, this is still one of my first like five gear runs, I think. And we're we're going down this like this slight incline because churches uh, are really good about being, uh, you know, friendly to everybody. So this is wheelchair accessible, but the incline is like very, it's very slight. You don't notice it. And so, which is good, because I recently went on a bike ride with Micah from Small Group, and I was trying to go up the hill, nearly died. I could not do it. So they made this incline slight so that it would be easy. Problem with that is you don't notice it. And so suddenly, me and Peter are talking, and his cart of gear just takes off. Like it is screaming down the hill. And Peter just freaking jumps into action I mean, this this cart's already passed him. Like, I've already started doing the calculation in my head of like, well, we'll just take a loss on this. I'm not going to, like, I guess we own it already. We're halfway out. Had we bought it yet? Not technically, but we were going to be, you know, do the right thing. Well, Peter, unlike any human could ever do, just sprints forward, beats it, throws his body in front of the rack, right in front of the wall, and then just slows it down perfectly, and not a single piece of gear fell. It's almost like tech guys are superheroes. It's it's definitely tech guys are superheroes. And there's a lot of moments where I'm like, the Lord was with church gear <laughs> because no one should have been able to catch up to that cart. And uh, you not being a tech guy at all, Blake, and certainly not a superhero, we, we do need to tell your story of the gear cart got away from you. Yeah, my gear cart did not go as well. So we were in South Lake, Texas. My brother actually lives in South Lake. And we were staying at his house and we needed to move a bunch of power amps from his garage into the van. And so I said, all right, Blake, like man up, let's grab power amps and just walk them to the van. 
and you always trying to work smarter? Yeah, trying yeah, is the key true, word yeah. there. I grabbed a dolly and was like, we'll just put this box of power amps on top of this. Yeah, so you you grabbed a dolly, you laid it down flat, so it's one of those carts that like, you know, it moves from upright to flat, and then you put a plastic tub there and just started filling it with power amps. And every power amp's like 40 or 50 pounds. And so you've easily got 250, 300 pounds, and the power amps are now stacked so high that they're above the tub. So I said, Blake, I don't know that this is a great idea. But, you know, Toby uh, is a boss that prioritizes something funny over something financial. And so he's like, going to let me do it. And then you use my line back to me. You're like, it'll be fine. That's Toby's motto. And so I start to roll it and it's going well. And I look back at Toby and I say, going well for like four seconds. Long enough for me to sing the line. They see me rolling. They hating. And then as you're singing that the whole thing starts to shift and slide and fall over. And you try and pull a Peter and get in front of it and bending down like, oh, oh, oh. And dude, I've never heard so many farts come out of a human being. <laughs> I had a fart attack. It's like from Parks and Rec. And I, I tried to catch it. And meanwhile, Toby, I've never seen him laugh this hard. His face is the color of the sun. And it was like one of his best moments of my employment. <laughs> there was, I swear to you, there was at least 17 farts in 10 seconds. I don't know how many, how like that many farts could come out of somebody so fast. If you've ever heard a Gatlin gun in a Civil War movie, <laughs> that's what it sounded like. Blake trying to save gear and it a fart attack. It didn't yeah. crash, but it didn't save no, it as smoothly as Peter. Oh. Peter's a hero and I'm... Well, you know and what I am. And I got this story out of it, so I'm very excited. You know, speaking of someone who wouldn't have 17 farts while saving some gear, uh, let's bring in the lighting designer slash programmer at Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas, Tim Logsdon. Tim, can you confirm that you can save gear without nearly pooping yourself? Uh, I, I don't know. I can't confirm or deny, but uh, I've had a couple of scares in my job here at Gateway. Oh, have you had some stuff almost fall? Um, we actually, speaking of amplifiers, uh, at our warehouse, we had a stack of crown amplifiers, quite a few of them. Um, you guys might've saw them when you came out. Uh, we, we piled them way too high on one pallet. And so probably 500 to a thousand pounds of crown amps and moving around with the forklift, taking turns too sharp. Uh, we had some close calls dropping those things. So, uh, Yeah. That's our story. I, I literally unloaded, helped unload our truck filled with a pallet filled with crown amps from Gateway Church. So uh, yeah, it, it, those things like the Macrotech 5000s are almost 90 pounds each. They're crazy heavy. I Honestly, the weight of power amps was one of my first observations at Church Gear. I was like, this is insane. And I remember dropping one. On my, I don't know if I ever told you this. I remember dropping one like my first week or two, or it was like my first day. And the edge of it went into my foot. And it went oh, cut yeah. me so deep that it didn't bleed. There was just a hole in my foot. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd, I'd also, the day before, fallen and just about sprained my hand. So, you know, it's like my day two at church gear. First full-time employee, Toby's hired, and I'm walking around like a goblin trying to carry stuff. And I love when I uh, wear flip-flops into the warehouse and Frank, our operations director, is like, Toby, get out of here. <laughs> One it's day, a boot zone. <laughs> well, listen, uh, what was it? Chris or Frank dropped something on their steel-toed boots recently yep. that would have broke their foot if they didn't have those boots. Anyways, all right, Tim, let's get to your lies or your truths or a true Santa lie. 
Number one, I am typically the first person to read the manual for something technical. Hmm. There's been a lot of manual readers. A lot of these texts are like, they're smart enough to realize, oh, the answer might be in here. Let's read this thing. Number two, I grew up two hours away from my wife in California, but we met in Texas. And that's, that's accurate. I bet that's true. Number three, I ran lights for a live album recording at the biggest indoor arena in Peru. Hmm. You surprised I said that right, Toby? Uh, kind of. I'm usually just surprised you do anything right. So, well, congratulations, little buddy. I'll take it. Number four. I got my pilot's license at the age of 25. Okay, it's pilots and architects. That's the spinoff mm. stuff. Totally, we we've seeing. had a lot of those. Number five, I enjoy jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. Nope, nope, nope. He doesn't look like that. Nope, nope, nope. Do you, uh, I mean, I don't have TikTok, but I like on Facebook or Instagram, they're the reels. And somehow I get a lot of reels of just guys jumping out of airplanes. And it, I feel the anxiety rise up in me anytime I see one of these reels. I was going to say, Toby, you, you and I both hate planes for... A hundred million dollars. Could you jump out of a plane? Well, sure, for a hundred million dollars. Okay, but what about like a hundred thousand? Yeah, for a hundred grand. I'd do it. I would have to. And I'm also wondering if I got my pilot's license, would that help me with my verifying? Because it's like I'm in control now. Maybe. Maybe we can ask him. Okay, real talk. I'm not going to say his name, but I had a guy that I went to high school with recently get his pilot license, and he was like one of the dumbest kids in my class. And I'm saying that. And so I'm like, now I can't fly anymore. He's a commercial airline pilot. Oh, I got it. All right, that was mean to me, but it's just true. All right, number six. It took me way too long to figure out my five, five truths and a lie. That's a good one. Okay, that's probably true. Okay, Toby, what are you drawn to here? Uh, I mean, he has two about airplanes right back to back, so I kind of feel like I'm going to just jump up to number one. I'm going to say he is not typically the first person to read a manual. I feel like maybe it's kind of a running gag around the the Gateway production team that it's like, Tim never reads the manual and he usually, you know, flounders because of it. You we'll did out. this on a previous, or you've done this on another episode where you, you called that same scenario. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm going to go with number four. Maybe he got his pilot's license at age like 24 instead of 25 and he's just changing the numbers. Tim, what's, what's your lie? Blake, you got it. Oh, uh, the lie on. is the pilot's license. Uh, I know quite a few pilots who are also LDs, and so I figured I'd lean into that. I wish I had my pilot's license, and when I was younger, um, I wish I had taken the opportunity to learn and go to school and become a pilot. Uh, but no, I do not have a pilot's license. I'm just so disappointed Blake got one right. Well, and I, I think, you know, we're just disappointed he can't fly us, you know, back from Texas now on our gear runs. That's true. That was my hope. So uh, so you read the manual, huh? You're your big manual guy? Yeah, I tend to read the manual and uh, share that knowledge with as many people as I can. And why do you jump out of airplanes? Is that when you're tired of reading the manual? <laughs> uh, you know... I, when I was, I think I turned 18, I was, I went on a trip of a family vacation to Hawaii and, uh, it was, um, part of my birthday gift was to get me uh, a pass to go skydiving. And so I did that over Hawaii, uh, Oahu, and it was an amazing experience. And then once I got back to Texas, found out there's a skydiving facility about an hour North of where I live. And so, um, it's not as pretty, it's a lot of flat land to jump over, uh, not as much water to catch your fall, but uh, it's still fun to skydive. So I've done it three times in total. And any uh, precarious situations or did all three jumps go pretty smooth? Uh, the one in Hawaii, the first one was fun because uh, the guy I jumped with was 
was, uh, I believe, in the army, and he uh, was with a group of friends, and they kind of forced him to go jumping. And so he was uh, sitting next to me in the plane. It was kind of a small biplane, just two of us and instructors. Um, and when we got to the door to make the jump, uh, just hearing him kind of scream like a, a girl and freak out <laughs> and uh, just it was it, he's such a big dude, such a uh, strong guy, I would say uh, he was freaking out. I was super excited, nervous, but more excited than he was. And then hearing him kind of get shoved out of the plane with the instructor was hilarious. So it was quite a fun experience. I was going to make fun of you, Blake, for screaming like a girl. But then Tim was describing this army guy as like, you know, a manly man. I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. That doesn't track. Well, it's it's a scary thing. Now I'm just imagining if we could get set some kind of goal where if you if enough people did something, Blake and Toby would jump out of a plane. Oh my gosh, that'd have to be a big goal. That would be awesome. Um, so tell us about running the lights for a live album recording at the biggest indoor arena in Peru. Yeah, so I got the opportunity uh, a couple years back to go record uh, Gateway Churches or Gateway Worships Walls album. Uh, it was. My first one that we recorded here, I think it was my first running lights here in Southlake at our main campus uh, that I actually got to program and operate the whole thing. And then uh, I guess it was maybe six months or nine months after that, they kind of said, hey, we're we're partnering with a bunch of uh, with a church down in Peru, but to do a Spanish recording of the same album. And so we were taking all the, the programming and all the prep work we did here and converting that uh, into all the files necessary to do a Spanish recording. So we took a, a team of maybe 10, 15 people to Peru. Um, uh, it was kind of my first like international trip and did a full album recording uh, in Peru in the stadium. And I think it holds 10,000 people. Um, and it used to be like an old bull fighting arena. And now it's been converted into a church's actual like auditorium arena uh, setting. And so it was a really unique experience that I always look back on as a special uh, special event that I got to do that I don't think many people can say they've done before. Yeah, I guess even if you don't know the language, the AVL is still the same. Was that, was that pretty wild yeah, to hear a different language, like a worship song, but... Like you can't understand the words, but you can feel the emotion, I bet. Yeah, that was what was super unique is uh, I've never done touring or traveling production. Um, I've only uh, done it for corporate events or church work. Um, and so not be, not coming from a touring background, but actually going to like tour this album, I guess, sort of uh, in this location, uh, sitting in front of house and just hearing the voices sing songs that came out of our house of worship and like the heart behind it uh they were so engaged it was incredibly loud uh and it was very overwhelming emotionally for me uh because we had just you know done this here in the states and then we were doing it um in peru and they knew every word to every song uh and it was really just beautiful to be a part of uh, it's so cool to see, like, we often take for granted how, you know, productions come together here in the States and we can do these amazing, like, Christmas programs or live albums and they're awesome. But then you go to somewhere just, you know, in different parts of the world and you experience that uh, 
it's like the spirit just moves a little bit different some some other places and it's just so fun yeah and the the gear struggles are really fun uh, <laughs> when bet. you get there you realize you don't have everything you need you kind of have to ask and hope that it arrives on time uh each i guess culture has a different idea of time and when things are urgent and when they're not and so we dealt with a lot of that like hey we need this you know lighting console or audio desk here at, the, at this day and they're like oh yeah it'll come in this week and that ended up being you know another day or you know 24 48 hours later and they're like oh yeah here it's ready and we're like okay now we we're behind on schedule for production and so it was fun to to figure out those logistics with a team who had done it here with all the gear available trying to figure out how to do that uh in peru yeah i've been to uh gateway's warehouse you definitely have gear available um talk to us uh just your background how did you end up at gateway church what sort of led up to that yeah so uh before i was hired um, or even a part of gateway church um, i worked at a smaller church in the area um, as a part-time technical director, kind of straight out of high school and college, um, nothing to do with my studies. I was going in for computer engineering um, and kind of once I latched on to production, I, I finished my associates but didn't dive into further study. And so I really enjoyed production. And at this smaller church, they, they hired me part-time to be their TD for their youth ministry. Um, and so I got to mix audio for a lot of services and, and learn from their audio uh, lead. And um, I also prepped like pro presenter slides and, and different video um, segments. And then I was, you know, in the booth all the time. So I noticed like lighting was this different type of expression. So audio, you know, you're taking a lot of sources and inputs from others and kind of creating something with that. Um, and manipulating it, whereas lighting, it, like you start with a, a blank canvas or a black room and you get to create or change that atmosphere. And so that was something I was drawn to and I kept leaning into that. And so um, I had a good mentor there who taught me more about lighting and took me through the paces. Um, and I just came became really passionate about it. And so uh, at the time I was running like a, a Frog 88 console. Uh, with some cyber lights which i was blessed to you know even have a moving light at that time um but it was it was that and swapping gels on pars uh for different events and just making up the experience in that youth room and it really became a passion of mine at that stage um and then i transitioned to running uh the it in the main auditorium on an ma series one which was really cool it was you know a beat up board, but they had an ultralight desk, a really small compact MA and uh, some additional moving lights. And I fell in love with kind of the MA programming philosophy. Um, and it felt really kind of natural to how my brain works and thinks about programming. And then uh, after that, like about two years uh, of working there, I went to a young adults service at Gateway. I didn't really know the Gateway name or the the, the church growth that they were having. Uh, I didn't, it's probably 30 minutes away from my house and the church I was going to was within 10 minutes. And so I hadn't driven over here or seen what was going on. And uh, my first experience there at the young adult service kind of blew my mind as to 
um, the teaching available and, and how they would follow up with attendees. And so I got really kind of excited to go to Gateway Church. Um, and my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, now wife, she, she was going as well. And we kind of went together and got to experience this amazing young adult service. Um, and that at that time, Gateway had three campuses, I think, or they were launching their third. And I started to realize the size and like scope of their ministry. Um, and so I got plugged into the tech arts team and uh, got a got a part time job, you know, another part time job at Gateway um, doing this weird position called master control. It was just like managing all three campuses from the cent- the main site and uh, trying to oversee the operations. Um, I'm just imagining then- your business card. Tim Loxton, yeah. master control. I was going to say, is that is that what we put for you, Toby? Master control of church gear? Obviously. I mean. That feels like too much control. Tim, you're going to have to teach me how to do that job. Yeah, that, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. I was told it was like, came from like video world. You know, they they use the term master control in, in certain uh, news broadcasting and and other realms. Uh, but I, I figured it was like mission control. Cause you're just juggling all the aspects of uh, like essentially overcome to two other sites and making sure that they're clued into live, live broadcast and all those kind of functions. Um, and then I, after six months of that, I kind of got bored or I, I wanted to know what was next. Cause I liked lighting. And so I volunteered for like four weeks running lights and to my surprise, after four weeks, they offered me a full-time job uh, running lights. So ever since then, it's kind of been a, a all-out sprint to keep up with the the vision and growth at Gateway. How long have you been there? Um, ten years, just over ten years. You do not look old enough to be there for ten years. That's awesome, man. Um, you must have done a great job for four weeks, and they hired you full-time, and now you've been there ten years. Like that's a a fun little like success story. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I I never uh, knew again the scope of of Gateway and Pastor Robert. Um, his he's kind of the pastor of pastors, as as he would say. It. And so there was so much depth to Gateway before I even got involved. That once I got involved, it kind of came in waves. Like wow, the reach is a lot farther because of the broadcast ministry they had and the radio and television aspects. Uh, I. I came from, you know, smaller churches growing up like most people. Um, and so it was, it was kind of shocking, but also I could lean into it and be like, oh, wow, there's a lot to this, you know, it keeps giving and um, there's growth to be had. That's awesome, man. Um, we have recently talked to someone that uh, was saying, if you're live stream, he was a video guy. He was like, if your live stream is looking off, don't jump to buy the next camera. Uh, talk to your lighting guy and see if you two can tag team. A lot of times the lighting can make the difference in like what your live stream is looking like on video. Uh, and I, when he said that, I was like, I want to talk to a lighting guy immediately now to see if that's true. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. So during uh, COVID, it's kind of one of the, the most prominent discussions that I would, or examples I would use for that discussion is um, I got a lot of calls. I mean, being... Um, being gateway, we, we help and resource and assist so many other churches that a lot of them called in and said, Hey, we have to go to live stream. Like we can't have in-person services. We need, you know, we either have this camera and this light, what can we do? Or 
we need a camera and we need a light. And we had to kind of go out just like everyone else and, and find relatively cheap and good materials or good gear to resource them with and then assist them in getting that up and running. And the biggest thing was, you know, don't spend all your money on the camera side, the video side, even though that's your capture, um, your lighting makes a huge difference. And so if you have a decent, you know, three point lighting setup, wherever you're shooting, you will have a better video quality, even if your camera is not the best. You know, you, you can't get the best gear at that time. And then you can upgrade over time, but usually it's lighting that um, plays into the video. So I'm hearing lighting is more important than video. <laughs> Tim said it. Yep. Um, I did. I, I feel like, uh, you know, Blake and I learned so much. Like, I, I know the basics of tech. Blake knows nothing. But just the simple fact of, you know, different departments, like, communicating and working together. It's like a video guy could think, you know, our live stream is not looking great. We need to fix the problem on the video side. And no, we should probably start communicating with the other people that are involved. And then Tim, I also love how you described lighting is you're presented a blank canvas and you get to just create from zero. Whereas the audio guys never really thought of it that way. Like they're provided the creative input and the audio guys are, you know, kind of making it shine a bit. Um, talk to us a little bit just about, you know, your, like the broadcast campus at Gateway. What is your lighting setup like and what kind of cool things are you able to do on Sunday mornings? Yeah. So when I came into Gateway, uh, 10 years ago, they had, they were, they had just finished out their main campus, what we would call the main campus now, which is a 4,000 seat auditorium in South Lake. And, uh, the other sites are an 800 seat auditorium in North Richland Hills and then they had a uh, campus launch in Frisco, which is only 600 seats. And that was taken over from a previous church uh, that they, they out, Gateway outgrew very quickly, um, even being at a 600 seat capacity. And so when I came in Southlake, the main campus was in its growth stage. They, they were able to purchase and build a beautiful building as well as outfit it with a lot of tech gear. Um, most of the tech gear though, at that time, the day they opened the building, uh, it was all discontinued. So service and support was interesting for the next, you know, seven to 10 years on, on, on when I came in was like, oh, wow, all the stuff that they bought and put into this building was just at the end of its life. And so we rode that out as far as we could. Um, but I obviously was blessed with, um, a lot of moving light fixtures, um, a pretty substantial rig for a 4,000 seat auditorium. And uh, it helped me learn a lot. I didn't get as much of the conventional theory and theatrical, you know, background that some come into the lighting world with, but I got into moving light programming and kind of that, um, you know, I would say more creative expression in, in, in uh, worship where you had a lot of gear to work with at the time. Man, this, that is really fascinating, Toby. I, I had never thought of it that way, that audio is improving something that they're given, uh, video is capturing something that they see, lighting is whatever they want it to be. That is that is a, a big ceiling. And you just rhymed right there. Good job. Well, I didn't even try. <laughs> um, so, Tim, 
I don't. I wish I could form this into a better question because um, mostly it's just like a mind blown emoji of like, why does it take a central warehouse of gear to pull off weekly services? Like, yeah, it was, and it was fun when you gave me the tour and I could come back and like tell everybody at Church Gear, uh, I just saw a warehouse of gear with more gear than we have, which is insane because like we sell used production gear. Like you just operate at a, a church, so I don't know. There, I don't know if the question in there is like, what's it like having that much gear, uh, but just talk to us about that, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I uh, actually listened uh, to um, Griffin's podcast with you guys uh, a while back of um, how Highlands Church of the Highlands has a warehouse and how they kind of use it. Um, they may use it maybe a little better than us, where they they you know they bring gear in and then divide it out to the campuses as needed as kind of a central hub to ship stuff in. We kind of use it in that way, but it's. It's more of like the whole church's resource where shipping and receiving is brought in. So we can buy, similar to Church of the Highlands, we can buy in bulk because we're at 10 campuses now and then divide that out to each site instead of shipping it to every site with all the logistics of multiple venues, um, multiple loading docks, uh, all, all the supplies you would need for daily operations. We can bring it into that central warehouse and divide it up as needed and then send it out. And it's a lot more efficient and cost-effective when you start to scale, which is what we're kind of at now, um, going all the way 10 years ago from three campuses to the 10 we have now. And so outside of that, the gear uh, that we have is kind of piled up. Um, when you said, you know, we have more gear or more warehouse space than you guys, it's been because as the campuses were brought online either we bought a building um from another church or it was you know something happened with that church and we took it over and so we inherited a bunch of gear that we didn't know where to put and so we brought it to our warehouse we clean cleaned some of it up and some of it went into sites that needed it and otherwise we've kind of just been slowly trying to liquidate and get that into uh, either recycling centers or sell it off if we can. And Church Gear, that's kind of how we met, is we were looking for partners to offload gear. And you guys kind of had that business model ready to go. And so you guys made it very easy. Well, we love hearing that. We'll send I mean, you that Venmo. Yeah. Uh, thanks for saying that. <laughs> um, with the central warehouse, do you guys kind of, um, you know, maybe depending on the project, but function as in-house integrators and installers for different campuses? Yeah. So um, just in the last two, three years, uh, my specific team or department formed um, as a branch of live production. So uh, we have like our event focused team, which is all, all the campus operators, all the technical directors, all the managers for the day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week services. And then centrally, we have our, my team, which is the design and integration now. And we kind of focus on, uh, you know, CAD and plans and, and the scope of our buildings and, and making sure the systems are online 100% of the time on weekends so that there's not failures that we could prevent, essentially. Um, and with that, our team does some of the integration or all the integration planning for our sites and kind of our, our brand or, I don't know, guide for gear, what we would like to see outfitted. And then we uh, work with outside integrators to actually do the labor and install portion of that. 
Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of uh, installs that you've done with all the campuses. So like, what's the most difficult system problem you've had to solve while doing all these installs at campuses? Um, the biggest one that comes to mind is kind of remote uh, support of all things. Like each system has its quirks or differences. Um, but I would say gear nowadays is pretty solid um, networking wise or, uh, you know, inter intercompatibility. Like a lot of the brands are working together now. So you can kind of get a good flow between things. But with um, scaling to 10 sites, I had to learn so much that remote support became important. Otherwise, I'd have to drive out to every one of these sites in DFW and manage them. And so we kind of took notes from Fellowship Church here in Grapevine, Texas, and then uh, Church of the Highlands. I've, we've had conversations with them over the years of what are you doing to be able to do this at multiple sites? Like not just say, here's your campus and your gear package and be done, but actually say, hey, every week, if you need assistance, reach out to Central, like our team, and we'll help you work through those issues. And so remote management and or monitoring systems has probably been the hardest part of all of that. So I know with uh, like LCBC Church out in Pennsylvania, as they do campuses, it's almost like carbon copies for the production system. It's like, here's how we do a production system. We install it at the next campus. And so they all, you know, are uniform and the same setup. Are you guys trying to function that way or is every campus different? We would love to function that way, the technical side, but what we've run into is gateway when they go into, when we reach into like a different city, uh, Frisco, um, Great Grand Prairie, um, North Fort Worth, NRH, all these cities around us, each one has a different look and feel. So, or the, the plot of land or the building we're buying looks different. And so they they haven't been cookie cutter and we've looked at you know lifechurch.tv's um, like model it's very cookie cutter um you know similar budgets and everything it's all laid out and planned well in advance for us it's kind of been one project at a time what we've tried to do to help ourselves is to stick with the same brands um you know the most reliable brands that we can get um, you want to shout those budget. out or is that weird? Cause I'd love to hear your opinion. Um, I would say, I mean, on the lighting side, we're using MA consoles. Uh, they've been, they've proven to be very reliable and they also like have built in uh, full tracking backup systems. So you can have like a console in session with uh, a PC computer. And if the console fails, you can do everything via mouse and keyboard. So you have these, you know, systems that, you can, or, or these brands that have systems that you can lean into to help you do this, you know, every weekend of the year, which I like to say, like, they never stop coming, you know, every weekend <laughs> we have a service and we've got to be prepared for it. And so we've found that um, MA specifically, and then over the years, we've used a lot of Martin lighting products. Um, they've been good to us and they've lasted over the years, um, especially those Mac 250s in the earliest days. Um which we're, you know, finally selling off now is they are so reliable. They lasted forever. Uh, and then we've just kind of switched lately to, to more networking gear and less hardware. So a lot of software programs to cut down on costs and just focus on a few major brands that have that kind of scale and scope in mind. 
for multi-campus. So we found that even the greatest brands, there's always something that might go wrong, be it uh, you know a simple technical failure or a human failure. Uh, we're wondering at uh, at Gateway or something that you've experienced, like do you have a good disaster story where things just everything went wrong? Yeah, um, there's there's been a few. I mean, I, time code is a big one. Uh, if time code fails, a lot of things fail. Uh, you know, depending on how you've set up. And I'd say in the early few years of me being at Gateway, we experimented with it a few times. And so time code's reliable, but if the systems in place don't support it perfectly or you didn't set it up, we didn't have a lot of knowledge. Um, if anything got off track or we didn't trigger something at the right time, uh, it would kind of fall apart. And we had that happen a couple of times during conferences. Um, and we just learned from it and tried to, pull other people who are using time code and fix our mistakes. And uh, so we've gotten better at that. But my biggest flub, I said, I would say you said um, like a personal failure would be the, uh, I was running my first year at the Northwich and Hills campus as a, a full-time LD and I'm, I'm programming away. We get into service and first song one, they go to hit the downbeat transition from uh, the oversight moment and uh, I went to shut off, shut off or start an effect on the lighting board. And there's in the MAU, it's like common keystroke is off, off U4 and it, it turns everything off. And so I was trying to off, off an effect and I hit the wrong key and the whole room just went dark at the downbeat of the song and uh, did not recover well. I had to scramble to get the lights back on, get back into my queue. I didn't know a ton about you know, a flub or recovery at that time. And so it, it was nerve wracking for me to just get everything running again and try to get through that service and explain myself after. I was going to say, if you could have put it back up quickly, since it went dark on the downbeat, you'd almost could have just made a dramatic moment. Um, what was it like? Yes. Um, <laughs> who'd you have to talk to after that, uh, you know, after that service? What was that like? Yeah, each of our campuses um, have always had like a, a TD, like an oversight to the tech crew who's working, even if it's just like all volunteers, we try to have like a, a part-time or a full-time person managing them. And so uh, they just kind of look over and luckily they were trusting that I could figure it out. So they, you know, we have comm systems and we were communicating about it. Um, but I would say like you, you, you said the downbeat, it was kind of maybe well-timed. Uh, the recovery was not, everything came back, you know, one-off, uh, the, the queue did not restore the way I would like it to. And I just learned a lot about how to recover. And I think that's key to programming or operating lighting is you're not like, if you're following a band and say you're not using time code, everything's live. You kind of have to make it up as you go. And then if they pivot, you've got to figure out how to pivot with them and make those changes. And so that taught me so much early on. Man, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, so, so it seems like everyone has their fart attack moment, Toby. Where, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking we oh, actually yeah. start every episode with a Blake disaster story, mm. and then so I mean, people are often wondering like, how does Blake have so many disaster stories, so many flubs? I, I don't know. Like, do you just manufacture them, or at this point, I'm just doing it to make you laugh. <laughs> Perfect. I 
I was uh, I was really late for a podcast. I won't say whose podcast it was. I just totally forgot. <laughs> and I looked at Toby and I was like, on a serious note, I do apologize. And he just cackles and goes, oh, no, 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 this is great content. And gave me least responsible uh, Church Gear Employee Award at the next staff meeting. Mm-hmm. So You still hold that title. That was fun. Um, well, uh, Tim, give us uh, your, your tech takeaway, man. What's... Um, whether it be relational, philosophical, technical, uh, Lord forbid it be technical. Um, <laughs> what's something, what's a piece of advice you'd give at all church techs, regardless of their church size? Yeah. Something that I've, uh, I've picked up over time is just uh, never be afraid to ask for help. Um, it's, it's been key to my growth. I had good mentors early on, mentors early on, um, in production specifically that kind of led the way for me and kind of taught me a lot. But I realized once they kind of, if, if, and when they moved on and changed roles or we all got, you know, divided, uh, on things, I still reach out to them for help and ask for their advice because it's very valuable to leverage those have kind of those who have gone before you, um, in the tech world to just learn and grow. And then you'll avoid a lot of mistakes like easy, common mistakes that way, um, as well as not waste as much time struggling or working the same problem that someone's like, oh, I just fixed that this way. And uh, so taking that advice from others, but also asking for it and asking for help, that would be my my biggest uh, tech takeaway. I have noticed a tech tendency to have t- too much tenacity to where they're like, I'm just going to figure it out. I'm going to read the whole manual. And so, yeah, just asking for help is something I do all the time. I might ask for help too much, but it's uh, it's definitely a good a good move because no one's going to make fun of you unless you're me for asking for help. So might as well do it. I'll make fun of you. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, well, that's why I asked Drew for and Sarah now for stuff. Yeah, it's a good move. Well, uh, Tim, dude, we really appreciate you coming on, man. You want to plug anything? Um, nothing specific. Uh, I have an Instagram account. Um, I'm not on it regularly anymore because I got kids to chase around the house all the time. Uh, but I'm still, you know, browsing it every once in a while. Um, my handle is at Tim Logston, um, on Instagram. I was going to say the week your episode comes out, you should be an Instagram guy that week because we'll, we'll put stuff out to promote it. <laughs> yeah. I like how he's like, you can find me on Instagram, but I'm not on there. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, you know, once I had kids, it was a different ball game for social media. So, how dare he prioritize his children over Instagram? I know you should try that sometime, Blake. I no kids for me, just fur babies. <laughs> well, Tim, thanks for coming on, man. <laughs> Absolutely, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, and hey, congratulations on surviving Sunday. If you happen to make it through next Sunday as well, join us again for your weekly tech breather. Blake, you you know what would really help with your fart attacks? Oh, man, do you have some medication? I mean, first of all, stop eating whatever you're eating the night before. Well, all that Taco Bell does come back. But I'm wondering if there's any other cure we could offer so people could avoid fart attacks in the future. Oh, man. Well, and you in this episode had a cough attack that you were kind of trying to hide, but um, the cure is to use code podcast for 11% off at Church Gear. You save so much money. I mean, you might actually uh, have a gasp attack. Just like, <gasps> and well, I don't want you to die, but yeah. No, we don't want you to die. Just want you to save money. Okay, Blake, I've been working on some jingles for our new website launch. So I've got churchy, churchy, church, church to- gear. T- Toby, what have I told you about singing on the podcast? 
it doesn't work. But you know what is working? Our new website. You can actually get it to load on your phone. You can actually buy a new piece of gear without your phone bursting into flames. Well, what if I spelled it out like C-H-U-R-C-G-E-A-R? Toby, Toby, stop. That is not working. But you know what is working? The search bar on our website. You can actually search speakers and speakers will appear. No joke, that didn't always work. Okay, what if I just did something like go to churchgear.com? Uh, you know what? That one works. 